Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale September 21st, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Jasmine, mm-hmm. the weather here in New York City is in the 70s with a cool breeze. Ooh. Summer is dead. No. I am throwing its corpse Mm-mm. off the top of a giant building, jumping down after it, stomping upon it, setting it on fire, laughing while I drink, I don't know, a nice, cool fall drink Are that you, isn't pumpkin spice. Yeah, I hate summer. I hate summer so much. It's Ugh. finally getting good. It's it's always bittersweet around this time for me because like I love summer, but I love fall, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like hoodie weather, Halloween, all the foods. It's delicious. As of recording this, so we recorded about a week earlier from when we put the podcast out, and so we're planning on putting Skelly up, our 12-foot-tall skeleton, and starting getting all of our uh, fun Halloween stuff up this weekend, so it's it's good times. But we are not just talking about <laughs> spooky decorations here on the show. No, this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we talk about all the new comics on sale this week, every week. We're going to give you our picks of the week. There's... This is, we were talking about this before the show started. A lot of good books this week. It's a good week. Very it's a good really week. good week uh, on many fronts. But So we have a lot of new comics to talk about. We'll give you um, our picks, then throw out an award that we give to every other book this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, lots of good titles. Then we have collections on sale. Infinity Comics, which are our vertical scrolling comics you can only read on Marvel Unlimited. And then we have other books hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. And then on top of that, there are even backlist comics being added to MU and the Marvel Comics app and Finally, we have a reading club. Who's our guest this week? We are talking to Leo Williams, who is the writer of the As a Tomorrow released Exterminator <laughs> series that's coming out. Yes. And we're going to be talking about Exterminators, the original uh, series from 1988, written by Louise Simonson with art by John Bogdanoff. This is going to be a fun conversation. I can't wait to get to that and everybody else. Um, let's So let's not belay anything. Let's get the conversation rolling with our picks of the week. I'm going to kick us off with Avengers Forever number nine. The creative team for this is Jason Aaron, Aaron Cooter, Cam Smith, and Guru EFX. It's just a very sort of like they all worked on this book. Jason's your writer, Aaron's your penciler, Cam's your inker, Guru EFX are your colorists and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. But I like that Jason, Aaron, Cam, and Guru are all just lumped together. It is a very big team effort. Um, and it shows because this book is Avengers forever is the title where we focus on multiversal members of the Avengers. So looking at your core Avengers members and then versions of them across different universes, we've had captains America, or I should say Steve Rogers. Um, we've had black Panther. We've had, um, Tony Stark. We've had a whole bunch of characters over the last couple of issues. And, This one focuses on Carol Danvers and it opens with this like big uh, adventure kind of feel of a Carol Danvers kicking a couple of Hydra goons off of a Zeppelin and flying. And then, you know, this one riding on a a pterosaur and another one in a fighter jet, one in full Captain Marvel soaring through the skies, all uh, smiling. And then the next page, it is a Carol who is in chains in bare feet in the mud being forced to work with a like a, an actual ball and chain around her while mm-hmm. these creepy creepy people if you think of like a 19th century political cartoon mm-hmm. in, in like a british cartoon in the 1800s talking about like fat cats and 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 the mm-hmm. wealthy aristocrats where some of them are pigs and some of them are like different animal heads that is who lords over Carol and others in this world because it is a world under the the thumb of the dark phoenix it is nothing can fly but the dark phoenix and so it's really it's this gnarly scary terrifying bleak world and it is so good so heartbreaking Jason Aaron of course has been writing some great stories and this one is is really about this Carol who's in this muck just she's trying to fly trying to be who she dreams about. She's dreaming about all these different carols and it's very heartbreaking, but she sees a little bit of hope and it leads to this one page where everything, you know, in her reality has been very dark and bleak. 
and you flip the page and the way that guru efx brings the color in on this page is sort of like it's like the light of dawn really Mm -hmm. shining on and there's it's a three panel page the top panel has carol clawing out of a hole literally like clawing her way out of a hole you can feel it i i messaged aaron cooter i was like dude you're one of my favorite artists i love you you're my friend this is one of my favorite panels maybe my favorite panel you've ever drawn it's so good it is the look in her eyes the feeling of motion the determination the body language it's something so simple done so exquisitely there's so much emotion in that one frame i look at it now and i'm like i, I can't even handle Chill. it it's so good from there i don't want to spoil anything it, it is cool it's big multiversal action what happens after that is leading to the, the larger story you're gonna laugh you're gonna cheer you're gonna cry hell of an issue all right next we have my pick of the week, which is a book that I've been looking forward to all year. I am so excited for people to read this book, not just because like it's an amazing book, but it is going to be a book that like I can already tell is going to change like the Twitter landscape, the X-Men fandom, the the Instagram memes are going to start piling in because there's so many things that happen in this book and they're, they're just so outrageous. The cast is phenomenal. It is Exterminators number one by Leo Williams with Art by Carlos Gomez, uh, colors by Brian Belenza, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I mean, like when you first open up this book, you get a warning sign. Like where you get like a parental advisory like message at the at the very beginning of the book that says content advisory warning, mature audiences only. Highly recommend that you take that advisory seriously. This is not probably a book for children. Um, but it is. It contains lots of crude humor, alcohol usage, partial nudity, strobe effects, violence, and some of your favorite mutants acting like absolute dumbasses. I didn't make that up. That that is exactly what it says. Um. So react or like so you know know what you're getting yourself into. The series features Jubilee, Dazzler, and Boom Boom. There is another character that will be revealed, uh, but I don't want to spoil it just yet. I believe they're on the covers. Could be okay, wrong. They're on the cover. They're not quite on the team yet in, in this particular issue, but the main three have light powers, which I think is really cool because it, it brings them together in a way that like I didn't notice at first. And then mm-hmm. as the story progresses, because we've gotten a chance to read a little bit more of the story. A lot of the times when you're like ranking like X-Men powers, I always feel like light powers are always just like, uh, like lame, weak. And they're not as like powerful or like visceral as like, you know, adamantium claws or, you know, being able to transform your your appearance. And this book really showcases like how those powers work, how these characters are more than just their powers, but also how they work together on a team. And when they've never really worked on a team together like this, at least the best way that I can put it is it feels like a group chat with my best friends. Hmm. Like everybody is just everyone is just like joking around with each other, putting each other down, you know, making inside jokes. And like it's very welcoming. It's very funny. Everyone has like their their strengths, their like their own vibe. And essentially the story starts off with Dazzler kind of reaching out to these two other girls being like, hey, I need a girl's night because I just got I just went through a breakup um, after a long term relationship. And so like they decide to go out. Um, They go to a like just very low key dive bar that was picked by Dazzler that Boom Boom is like, this sucks. This is lame. Like, where are all the like the sexy people? And Dazzler's like, no, it'll grow on you. Like, like, wait till I put my playlist on. Like, she's very like boring. And Boom Boom's just trying to have a lot of fun. What ends up happening is they get a little it's like almost like a hangover situation where they get a little bit carried away and something happens and they wake up in separate rooms, but they're all like traps. Like they don't know where they're at. Boom Boom wakes up in a like sewer pit. She's like on a floating island. Then we also have Jubilee who wakes up in the middle of a monster truck jam. And then we have Dazzler who's in a like dark maze full of these monsters. And so like they're all trying to figure out what's going on. They don't know where they're at. They don't even know if they're on Earth anymore. Oh, there's so many great one liners in here. Like I could list off. Like I think we listed off like half the book before we even started because they're just so funny. I didn't think it was that risque aside from like the violence yeah it was like you know what this is great this is i feel like we should be doing more of this push a little bit of a boundary here at marvel let's let's get frisky let's have some fun let's Let's do something a little bit more okay boom boom calm down what's our next pick of the week 
<laughs> it is Axe Judgment Day number five. And I couldn't help myself. I know we've picked Axe a bunch of times, but this friggin' issue, y'all. Holy moly. Of course, Axe Judgment Day is our big summer blockbuster where you have the Avengers, the X-Men, the Eternals, and they are being judged uh, because there's a giant celestial that is basically going to destroy everything and everyone on planet earth maybe the earth itself uh, because it does not deem them worthy it is written by kieran gillen art by valerio skiti colors by marte gracia and letters by vcs clayton cowles valerio yo yo there's some things in valerio and and uh marte there's like the first big splash page in this issue shows the progenitor the celestial that we're talking about thumb down sparking lightning everywhere head aflame it's massive and then you see a whole bunch of characters you know flying and running away from it it's just the way valerio can draw like terrified surprise on sinister's face determination on makari's face you even give a little feeling of emotion in iron man's helmet there's so much going on mm -hmm. here and that's just the opening splash from there, you've got like actual human stories and the effect that all this has on them, adding a, a really like a heavy weight to everything and, and seeing those characters as that has gone on throughout the series to Captain America sitting down, head in his hand, trying to like get himself back in the game um, and, and having a conversation with someone to the point where, you know, he needs to have that talk to remind himself who he is. He's like, I love uh, this moment. I love this moment because Nightcrawler comes in. So you get Nightcrawler and Steve Rogers together. And but it's also like a good reminder that like in a Marvel, in a giant Marvel event, like there mm -hmm. are these down moments. And then these down moments are like the ones that come to define the story. Yeah. And it's like, it's there's not really a whole lot of action going on in, in these first couple of pages. I mean, besides the, the opening stuff, but like that moment where he's just grabbing the coffee from another citizen inside New York City and being like, yeah, this is really happening. This sucks. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. And the Nightcrawler comes in and he says, hello, Captain. I'm saving the world that hates fears <laughs> and now judges me. I think everyone should see you give this false god a piece of your mind. Interested? With a big smile on his face. Yeah. And then Cap's like, he looks over at the woman that he's sitting next to and, and had been talking with says, sure, sat here long enough. I need to get up. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then they like, they start teleporting from New York to the Arctic, to the North pole. And it's just boom, 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 boom. They broadcast what captain America says to the, to the celestial chills. That is so chills. good. and so big. The thing is, there's no way to win here. Like all the heroes see the path to beating the, the celestial as growing smaller and smaller. There are deaths aplenty like burning husks of your favorite characters across pages and pages at one point you get again this splash page that i'm looking at right now has at least 50 marvel superheroes give or take flying and and going off to fight the progenitor You've this got is my Duke. current wallpaper on my phone like i was just it's... like this is gorgeous it's so beautiful. Avengers, X-Men, Eternals together. It makes no difference. It's terrifying. It is upsetting. You get terrifying moments like the progenitor setting like lightning fire to the earth. He, he basically says, I return to my conversation with the planet. I have told it to end. The planet itself has said no. I will thrash it into obedience. You've got a terrifying villain in this in in this progenitor then you flip the page and you you see like superheroes regrouping trying to come together form a plan i love all that stuff but i also love the little things that valerio does in in like sort of building these scenes there's one where you have a bunch of superheroes you know discussing what to do and you have Eros, the way he's positioned, he's got his arms folded and his leg over his other leg, Cersei leaning next to him. A couple panels later, you have um, resurrecting a few different mutants and their resurrection capabilities are like dwindling. They're running out mm -hmm. of eggs and all this other stuff. But seeing Hope guzzling down a bottle of water and seeing uh, Proteus sort of like slumped over head in his hands little moments like that or, or makari stretching it's simple things that i think add to the 
the feeling of realism, that humanity of this story, where you still have the mission to kill a god. And there's a lot going on on every single page, even if they're just standing around and talking. It is truly exceptional comic books. Every time, I, this is the third time I've read this issue, and I'm really, really into it. All that said, the last page of this issue, Dude. Oh. I do not want it spoiled. But no. I was like, uh, let's freaking go. This, oh man, just like, just even looking at it again, like pumps me up. Like, ah, oh, so good. So good. That is it for our picks of this week. Um, now we get to move on to some fresh, fabulous floppies. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about last week's award name. Yes. Last week's award name was the I Am a Gorgeous Pile of Secrets Award. And that was from X-Men Red number six. And the winner came in hot. Just given the award, uh, being the first at the gate is Karis Pollard, who said, quote, I had thought it might be sinister. It sounds a bit like him, but it's Sunspot instead, who I have a soft spot for. So that's a definite trade up. Yeah. Yes, we did a little, uh, you know, zigging and zagging there because it, it definitely felt like it could be somebody else. But uh, oh, yeah. It could have come from so many different people. Um, but yeah, I'm glad Karis found it. And then we have an email from Joe Hoffman, who says, I'm in the beginning stages of working to produce my story as a dramatic musical podcast uh, with students being cast in all parts, as well as students being recruited to do as much of the production and promotional work as possible. I think this will be a great youth empowering opportunity and a lot of fun for me to be involved with. And I'm really grateful for all the inspiration that I've been getting from you all, wonderful people at Marvel. You folks at Marvel are truly the best, and I appreciate you helping me making it through the work week with your killer podcasts like Marvel's Pullist, This Week in Marvel, Marvel's Voices, and Women of Marvel. They make working from home a lot more tolerable and have been a tremendous help to my writing and pre-production work as well. Oh, that's just a nice note. I love nice notes. Love a good nice note. Yeah. No complaints. 10-10. Would no care for more nice notes. Yes. Also, we got an email from our pal Mitch Krumputich, who found the quote in X-Men Red number six as well. He says, I've only recently become a big X-Men fan, and these books are blowing me away. Hope you both have a great week. Thanks, Mitch. So glad you're reading X-Men now, Mitch. Mm -hmm. Welcome to a better world. All right, so on to this week's award name. It is... Get in, losers. We're going to therapy. We're going to therapy. It's a great one. We unanimously knew that that was our, our line for this week. That's the award. So if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you are among the first, keep your DMs open, keep your emails handy. I may surprise you with a reply back or something cool. All right, with that said, it is time for the rest of the new comics this week. We're going to give out awards to all these, starting with Avengers number 60. And this one is uh, an Axe Judgment Day tie-in. And it is uh, a, a sort of like breather from the big main Avengers story going on. But uh, I will give my Get In Losers, We're Going to Therapy Award to a blood-covered uh, Hawkeye from the like the first page of the issue who says who's looking at a little kid says hey don't worry buddy it's not human blood which definitely clint makes it so much better <laughs> next up we have carnage number six and i'm gonna give my get in losers we're going to therapy to hella who is up to no good in this issue as she always is but she's scheming and i i like where she's going with this i'm very fascinated with this little story that rombi has been working on over on carnage all right, another book that was nearly one of our picks of the week is Edge of Spider-Verse number four. This one is jam-packed. I feel like, uh, what's that Saturday Night Live gag? The one about the, the um, Stefan? Um, no, Stefan was like, this one yes. has Spider-Ham. It has a, it yes. has a, a Spider-Verse princess. It has everything. And it really the does. Spider-Verse princess. Yes. Her name is Spinstress. Yes, Petra. Princess so, Petra. I love it. This uh, like this is done. That story is done in the style of like Disney style princess stories. Mm -hmm. It's got it's got songs. So like we need some if anybody out there okay. puts these to music, 
let us know. We can't play it on the show, but I want to just hear it. Really good. Luciano Vecchio doing some killer work. Um, We've got a Spider-Mobile story that Dan Slott and Ty Templeton do that is just (laughs) so fun. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. Uh, a really great new character uh, in Sun Spider um, by an old pal of mine, T. Franklin, and, and that was really good. But I'm, of course, I got to give my Get In Losers We're Going to Therapy Award to the Spider Ham story, which mm-hmm. is a different, it is both very Spider Ham on brand, but a little bit different in tone from some Spider Ham stuff. I absolutely adored it. Jordan Bloom coming in there, crushing it. All right. Next up, we have Fantastic Four number 47. And this issue is essentially Die Hard at the Baxter building featuring the Invisible Woman, which is awesome. Like, it's a, it's a great premise. Like, you have someone who's invading the, the Baxter building. The Baxter building's on lockdown. It is Invisible Woman uh, pretty much just trying to get down to the bottom of it as both the thing and human torture out of the building or preoccupied in other places where and, and then you have Reed Richards, who is in his like isolated containment. He's in the think tank, so he's locked himself away, so he doesn't know what's going on. But I'm going to give my get in losers. We're going to therapy award to the villain in this book because I love this villain. I was so happy to see her come back. Not only is she a character that we haven't seen in a while, but she's a villain that has a, a very interesting story. Seeing those pieces getting picked back up and then having that story continue to be told is something that I'm very interested in. Um, so I'm curious where they're going to take that character. On to Iron Cat number four, which is just a blast of a series. Love this. Love every bit of it. Uh, Pere Perez just doing some really phenomenal work. I'm going to give my Get In Losers for Going to Therapy award to the way in which uh, Pere depicts and draws the villain's face over armor. So the, 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 there's a character, Madame Menace, has taken over a bunch of Tony Stark's armors. The way that her face is shown on front of the armors is something I've never seen before, never really fully visualized. And I think it looks tremendous. It adds something really creepy and cool to this whole thing. Next up, we have Jane Foster and the mighty Thor number four. Okay. If you were to like screenshot my like text messages between Torun and myself, all you would see is, Oh hell yeah. And then her being like, Oh hell yeah. And like, it's just that back and forth, just like us hyping each other up because Every single page flip, and like, there's so many page flip moments in this series, but I'm going to give my Get In Losers We're Going to Therapy award to the person that appears on the final page because I love this character. I'm so hyped to see where this is going to go. I have a lot of questions. I texted this to Tora, and I was like, Tora, I have so many questions right now because I'm trying to piece it all together. But I'm like, but don't tell me what's going to happen because I don't want it to be spoiled because I am like all in on this ride right now there's big things afoot it seems like for that mm-hmm. character uh next up is legion of x number five this is the final part of the first arc of this we then go into Axe judgment day in this series but it's just been a full blast there's wild stuff going on throughout this if you are not caught up on legion of x i highly suggest you do any description i will give doesn't really do it justice because there's like you know, you've got Legion, who is the basically got every superpower locked up in his head, and he's he's doing his best. Nightcrawler is having sex every which way but loose. <laughs> Pixie's in there teaming up with Juggernaut. There's uh, a, a like a random chaos god or mischief god. There's all kinds of characters doing all kinds of things. I love this book; it is tremendous. But I'm gonna give my Get In Losers We're Going to Therapy award to the opening text page, which comes before any of the art. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I love this page. It's an excerpt from the Journal of Professor X, just called, quote, regarding DH, end quote. And the DH in question, in in reference there is David Holler, his son. It is such a devastating little story right there. If you know the character's history with Professor Xavier and David, I read this like twice. I was like, I hate you, Professor Xavier, Mm -hmm. but I understand. I can understand things a little bit more, but I hate you. David is precious and and amazing, and I love him. And everybody who's tight with him hates you too, Professor Xavier. Professor Xavier is a jerk. Big old jerk, you know? Kate said it first. She wasn't wrong. Next up, we have Mech Strike Monster Hunters, number four. And last issue, we got introduced to a new mech, a new villain. 
His name begins with a T and ends with Anos. His name's Thanos. It's great. But the the upgrade that he gets or like the 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 mech suit, the monster suit that we see is just like it makes him scarier. Like it was it's pretty scary to think about Thanos looking scarier, but he's pretty terrifying in this book. And the stuff that he like the way he acts and like the way he just carries himself in the book is really fun. Um, I just love Dr. Doom. I'm going to give my get in losers. We're going to therapy award to Dr. Doom's Matt Cause every time I see it, like every single page, he's in a different angle, but like the way that Paco Diaz like draws him is just so much fun. Like he's just having fun showing off this, this monster mech suit. And it's very like Lovecraftian, which I think is really cool. Cause it sets it apart from all the other suits that we see here. Like they're all monster suits, but this one has like tentacles and like crazy wings and I'm really digging it. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got a sad one here with New Mutants number 30 because it's the final issue by Vida Ayala. They've been doing Okay, such... don't lie. Did this one make you tear up? Of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. Oh, Same. so good. Vida, uh, just tremendous. Uh, it is also a 40th anniversary issue for the New Mutants, and there's a great letter just sort of describing what they wanted to do for that big celebration and and how that all turned out. And it ends up being a party and reminiscing by the characters. It is a lot of fun. I'm going to give my get in losers. We're going to therapy award to two things. One to everyone who comes to the party coming in their swimsuits. When uh, sunspot has been (laughs) like very upset about it. He's like, no, no, it's a space yacht. And we're like formal wear at the beginning. And everybody's like, no, we're just, we're in our swimsuits. Let's party. There is a pool there. So they're not wrong. You yeah. know, they're not wrong. And then the other one I'm going to give my award to is we get a little bit of a Deadpool story oh. by upcoming Deadpool writer Alyssa Wong. And they're doing crazy work, too. It's so good. Yeah, so good. The book will continue on, though. There's cool stuff up ahead, but it's to be this last issue. All right. Next up, we have Star Wars Darth Vader number 27. And this continues the mission that we've been going on for the past. This is the fourth issue, I believe, in this arc with Vader and... It's Darth Vader teaming up with Sabe. Do you know how in like Obi-Wan, the series on Disney Plus, you have those moments where Darth Vader just like flexes and you're just like, oh man, he's scary. Like you're like, oh crap. There's a moment in here that is very much one of those moments where you're just like, okay, that was really cool. That was really badass. Didn't see that coming. And it involves Darth Vader, his droid, and a lightsaber and a tank. That's all I'm going to say. But that moment was so cool. And just like the way that the pacing like plays out in those couple of pages and panels, like it's just perfect. And it's just like, oh, crap. Like you screwed up, Tank. Sorry. (laughs) And like, it's so good. The whole thing screams badass. And for that, I'm going to give it my get in losers. We're going to therapy award. I love this short story and I can't wait for this to be collected in a trade because it has become my favorite Darth Vader story that we've seen uh, from this particular run. All right. Also on the Star Wars front this week, we have Star Wars, the Mandalorian number three. And reminder, this is a adaptation of the first season of the Mandalorian. So it's got some great moments in here. This is full of bits and pieces where you see Mando turning a corner. There's great stuff with the other Mandalorians, but I'm going to give my get in losers. We're going to therapy to dad Mando starting to emerge in this one. Tremendous. He's, he's manifesting into his his dadliness. All right. Next up, this could have also been one of my picks of the week. I love this issue so much. It's strange. Number six. And you've been a big fan of Wongers recently. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the issue for you because it is a spotlight issue that focuses on Wong. Um, it gets into some of his history. It gets into his like relationship with the source of Supreme. And I mean, I can't not give him the get in losers. We're going to therapy award. Uh, but I want to do I do want to give a secondary award to a single shot of Wanda Maximoff in the bar with no door because <laughs> the way that and actually I'm not going to give it to her necessarily as much as I'm going to give it to the artist of the book, which is Lee Garbett, because he draws the perfect just sassy side eye Wanda Maximoff. And I am here for it. I love that. I think I tweeted it out and it, it's just it's perfect. On to Ultraman, the mystery of Ultra 7, number two. Uh, I really dug this issue getting into the what the title says, the mystery of Ultra 7 and what's going on with Dan and all kinds of characters. But I got to give my get in losers. We're going to therapy award to 
one of my favorite kaiju designs from Ultraman. And Ultraman kaiju designs are bonkers. That is just straight up. They are weird. They are. They look like weird just all around in the best cool ways. They have odd heads and crazy bodies and, and colors and like they're Wait, just Wait, can I guess cool which looking. one it is? Yes. Is it the the tank like turtle dinosaur no dinosaur thing, right? Uh yes, you mean dinosaur tank from the Ultra yes. 7 TV Sorry. series? Yes. Not tank dinosaur. Who is an actual dinosaur tank or dino tank is a kaiju from Ultra 7. I it gave me such a kick to see it in this um, in this issue. It was great. And there's even a reaction uh, where a character goes, is that a memory? It's certainly not one of mine. And Ultra 7 is like, it is no memory. And it's just, it's a fun, <laughs> then the battle ensues. It's great. Oh, that, that gave me a kick. I'm not going to lie. That was awesome. Next up, we have X-Men Legends number two. And it's a story written by Roy Thomas with art by David Washer and I really like this story because it takes place in between the Incredible Hulk 181 and 82, which is the first appearance of Wolverine and giant size X-Men number one. And anytime we get to see Whiskers Wolverine is my favorite. He's like a little kitty cat Wolverine with whiskers. And I love this design because it's just like he goes up against the uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which is also really fun because we get Havoc and Polaris in the mix there, too. And it's just good old classic Wolverine, and I'm going to give my Get In Losers We're Going to Therapy Award to each of the six little kitty cat whiskers on his mask in this issue. Uh, last book for us to talk about this week is X-Men Unlimited, X-Men Green number two. This is the print adaptation of the first arc of X-Men Green. The first, I think it was like six or eight uh, Infinity Comics. Uh, terrific, 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 terrific. If you haven't already read it on Marvel Unlimited, please read the the print issues. I am giving my Get In Losers, We're Going to Therapy Award to Sauron, the green telepathic, telekinetic, <laughs> uh, 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 hypnotizing dinosaur man who is not a mutant, but has been a, a pain in mutants, but's for many, many years has great one-liners in here. Great moments. He, uh, he like kind of almost falls in love. <laughs> There's so many bits and pieces. This, this storyline is terrific. One of my favorites of the Krakoan era. Okay. But Sauron's great, but I need to give a get in losers. We're going to therapy award to Sersha the dog because. Oh yeah. What a good girl. Just what a good, good. girl. On to collections and real quick. Uh, we don't have a ton of collections out this week, but we do have Peter Porker, the spectacular spider ham, the complete collection volume two. We are blessed. Everyone. We are blessed. Also, we have a bunch of infinity comics coming into the Marvel unlimited app. We have X-Men unlimited infinity comic number 53. Uh, we have Avengers unlimited infinity comic number 12 spider verse unlimited infinity number 16 Marvel's voices, America infinity comic number 17. Love Unlimited, Millie the Spy, Infinity Comic number 16, and It's Jeff, Infinity Comic number 16. Yeah. Also on Marvel Unlimited this week is another Captain America number one. We had uh, Captain America Symbol of Truth number one last week, and this week we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number one, which is good. Wolverine issue 22, X-Men Red number three, lots of great stuff. And Wolverine number 22, which has uh, Deadpool and Maverick, and it is a blast. It's really, really good. Uh, I wanted to point out one thing. Uh, once in a while, we add older comics, you know, the backlist to Marvel Unlimited. It looks like, it looks like, and, and things may shake out differently, but it looks like one of my favorite series is getting another edition in MU, which is What The? Issue number 20, which was our late 1980s humor comic series, which I absolutely love. It is weird and fun. Issue 20 has uh, the Infinity Wart crossover um, <laughs> where they, you know, we just we made fun of ourselves because that's a thing that we at Marvel have a tradition of doing. Uh, there's negative Forbish man in there and mayhem. Two of my favorite characters that showed up a lot in what the milk and cookies. Super terrific. Love milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. They are. Oh, they're a blast. Um, but there's a whole bunch of characters in there. If it is in Marvel Unlimited, please, I, I beseech you go read some what the. All right, now it is time for our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, who are we talking to and what are we talking about? We are talking to Leah Williams about Exterminators, the 1988 miniseries by Louis Simonson and John Bogdanov. We're going to be talking about it, about that miniseries as well as 
uh, Leo Williams' new Exterminators issue, which was one of our picks of the week. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the behind the scenes there as well. So definitely stick around for that if you're interested in picking this book up this week, which I highly recommend you do because it is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, Jasmine, it is time to bring back one of our returning guests, one of our favorites, and a very, uh, I'm sure, going to be a very lively conversation. Leah Williams, welcome back to Marvel's Pull List. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you on the show and especially (laughs) to talk about not only your upcoming book, Exterminators, but the original Exterminators for this week's Reading Club. Yeah, absolutely. There is a very important, I think, hinge between the original Exterminators and the current Exterminators, which would be our girl Boom Boom. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to talk about Boom Boom in this reading club. Leo, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into comics? So as a reader, uh, I didn't grow up with comics. I grew up in Oxford, Mississippi, and comics weren't accessible. They weren't even on my radar. I didn't know they existed. So it wasn't actually until I went off to college in New York and I started rooming uh, with this girl named Sandy Pletikosik, and she's a huge comics fan. And by this point, I had been kind of mildly exposed to comics through um, film school. I was a film production major. And uh, the only girl in my graduating class. So I was exposed to comics through the guys. Never read any myself. Then I started rooming with this girl and I was like, I thought comics were more of a guy thing. And she, this girl, gets up and walks out of the room. (laughs) And she comes back in with a copy of Watchmen, slaps it down on my desk and just wordlessly walks back out. And... This is the story of my comics origin. Uh, I came back after reading it obsessed and I was like, okay, I need more now. (laughs) What what else is there? (laughs) And I was just totally hooked. After graduating college, I started working in a comic book shop. And these were like the halcyon days of my entry into um, X-Men comics because I had been really intimidated by X-Men up until that point Um, because, you know... X-Men comics are sort of notoriously convoluted. They have a very intimidating uh, continuity and backstory. So once I started working in the comic book shop, it was like, okay, challenge accepted. And I started reading uh, back issue after back issue every single day. And um, that was when I just fell in love with comics completely. Never looked back. It's been my life ever since. (laughs) (laughs) I think a a great way to get into it is to talk about the creative team. It's written by Luis Simonson, who you mentioned, art by John Bogdanov, uh, colors by John Wellington and Petra Scotis, Al Milgram and Al Williamson on the inks, letters by Joe Rosen and Luis Simonson. I feel like Luis does not get nearly enough recognition, love, the flowers, the appreciation. As an architect of X-Men lore. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This was a book that, I mean, like you were talking about like the mythology of it all. And like, I feel like the X-Men have always felt very like mythological to me. Like they were always like Greek mythology or like, you know, you have all these certain characters and you know what their roles are within the X-Men and how they function on teams and stuff like that um, and what they're known for and their relationships with each other. And this was one where you get some of that right away, like in the first issue we see, you know, like the scrappy team, like, you know, we, they were all Morlocks that were rescued from X Factor. And right away, you get that context. So you know who they are. You, it's like the carrier, right? Like you kind of right. get like, here's who these characters are. They're not nobodies. Like they're related to your like, you know, classic X-Men. And it also kind of um, synthesizes one of the most important aspects of X-Men comics, which is the found family vibe. Because even though the original um, Exterminators is four issues long and it takes place within the Inferno event, we start with them being separated, this team. Like, they have different responsibilities, so we open with a goodbye, with a farewell as the team is separated. But because of the events of Inferno, they find that they have to come together again, work together to... um, 
you know, for the greater good to help people. So then we get to go through the kind of magic of the found family of these characters choosing to return to each other because they cherish this, you know, uh, chosen family dynamic. I love the moment where Artie and Leech like go to school and they're, even though they're separated and there's all this stuff, they like have this moment, like, please keep us together. And the teachers, they were like, yeah, we're going to keep you together. There's a sweet moment because you could take that. That could be a really like another thing where these the mutants are, are hurt and, and stuff like that. But having something sweet there, I think, is also something we need to see for these kids because, man, Artie and Leech. Artie and Leech in particular are set up as just the sweetest little guys. And they make your heart hurt because of how kind and sweet and loving they are and accepting. So then this serves, you know, kind of important purposes down the road later in the miniseries when they are kidnapped, when they are taken and, you know, spoiler alert, when they uh, kind of work together to overcome their situation without the aid of the grownups. And yeah, and it's just like they get their own hero moment and you've gone the entire miniseries feeling compassion for them because they are they are baby like that's it. They are are baby and and worrying about them. And then when you see them rise to the occasion, it's like, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. They're amazing. There's also a couple of beautiful moments when the when other babies are kidnapped and they're tossed in with Artie and Leech. And there's one shot. Literal uh, babies. Literal babies. And they're like putting their coats around the babies and like keeping them safe oh and God. warm. And it's I was just so like, sweet. oh, this is so great. The entire time I was like, if anything happens to Artie and Leech, like I'm right. <laughs> like yeah. they, they better not hurt them. Yeah, this is a good introduction to these characters. You get such a good sense of who they are and how their powers work. The first issue starts with this big splash page of Nastir. Uh, that's how I've always pronounced it. I, don't I know will if... never pronounce it correctly. It's Great. different every time. <laughs> then we're all we're we're doing fine. Um, Nastier and these other you know demons, and it's so cool, so gnarly, so weird. This great design, and then you flip the page, and you got big old Sim smoking his forever cigars, being big pink and and weird, nasty, I, so nasty, and they just. The two of them are like constantly fighting, but then working together and then fighting and then working together. It is a level of chaos that without a great writer and artist behind it could just be too much. But here you're just like roll with it. And you it it's both funny and kind of creepy and scary at the same time, which I think is is very, very effective. So we kind of talked about where Leech and Artie both ended up. Rusty is the one who's turning himself into the cops after the events that have happened in X Factor. So the other three members of this team are Richter, Boom Boom, and Skids, who are all going to a, like, it looks like a like a prep school of some, some sorts. Like, it's not quite college. Like, they're all going, but they have a dorm room. They're meeting their roommates. And I immediately was like, I want this book. I want, like, a college or, like, high school X-Men book, like, where they're all just rooming together with normal people. I mean, we got to talk about the other students there. The normies. The norm. <laughs> the, the, you know, Buffer and Mimi. Like. Such prep school kids. We even have um, one of the guys uh, holding like a lacrosse yeah. stick. Yeah. I the assume. thing net at the end. Like a weapon when he sees our cast entering the school. And then like the next page when they get a little bit come up and from being kind of jerks, we get to see, you know, Richter and Skids and Boom Boom with little halos over their heads. Like we're just yeah. perfect angels. Perfect angels. <laughs> we didn't do anything. So My good. favorite is like further in this issue when they get introduced to the school uniforms. And then Boom Boom's like, oh, <laughs> hell no. I am Absolutely not. Putting that not. On. <laughs> like, no. And like right off the bat, we get both Skids and Boom Boom in just like amazing outfits especially Boom Boom with her very pointed cat eye sunglasses. Big Iconic. Big yeah. Icon. And it, it's interesting, you know, thinking about the the cartoony nature that he does some of these things, but he also can go straight over into like creepy dark stuff or mm-hmm. very like sort of realistic 
down the middle stuff with maybe some of the teachers that uh, are working with Artie and Leach or some of those other elements that uh, it works to elevate the other aspects, which are more exaggerated. Oh, I totally agree. I think uh, in particular what springs to mind when you say that is the poignancy with which the children are drawn. The children, Mm -hmm. like the small kids, Artie, Leach, Skids, um, are not drawn as caricatures. They are drawn as people with feelings who feel things very intensely. And it is really heart-wrenching. Absolutely. And then the final kid we we get to meet here, who will later become WizKid, is Takeshi. Nobody in this mini has a better glow up than Takeshi. No, not like at all. Like I was like, oh my God. Amazing I realize... character arc. Yeah. I didn't realize that this was like his first appearance. Like I, I assumed he appeared somewhere else prior to this. And to just get his origin story was amazing. But the other thing I wanted to bring up about WizKid is that like we get to see things that I don't think I've seen very much of in comic books, which is he is a kid in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a quote by Anne Nocenti that... I've always thought of in regards to WizKid and um, Silhouette is another that Mm. uh, she thinks wheelchairs should be just as normalized as glasses. Um, And the moment I heard that, I was just like, oh, God, you're absolutely right. And WizKid to me represents kind of something intrinsically the best about X-Men comics, which is, um, you know, people with disabilities are able to still have their own agency and be empowered and uh, be a part of the group, be a hero uh, mm-hmm. because of their mutant abilities, because, you know, they're just another mutant because they are part of this team, part of this family. And I think that with WizKid in particular, what I love is how his technopathy, his abilities make the world adapt to him. Mm-hmm. So we have no problems of accessibility or adaptability because he's handling it. He's got it covered. And it just allows the story to flow without any sort of, you know, ableist uh, obstacles that we would otherwise come up against. And like the first scene that we get with where we get to see some of WizKid's like powers and abilities is when we we kind of figure out what's going on with the demons and like how they're going to start interacting with our our main characters, our protagonists. And there are they are kidnapping babies. Like they yeah, are. And WizKid is like the first to react. Like Artie and Leech had already been kidnapped. He responds and it's just like he's ready. And like right away, his like wheelchair turns into the Goblin Buster, which yes. was amazing. <laughs> like he's just like, whoa, look at this ray gun. I'm just like that would be the coolest thing ever like out of all the mutant powers to just be like how am i in this goblin buster all of a sudden and it has a helmet safety first hell yeah so smart what a good kid also creates a helicopter and like there's one of those things where he's got like this logic problem that he has to solve and like the story needs to solve like all right yeah. i can do this i weigh you know he probably weighs like 70 pounds or whatever it is and he's like i can fly myself but and then he starts to try to pick up the others. And it's like, we don't have enough room and working together. It is, it's cool how they like the kids. I think it's a great thing for kids to read is like seeing these various different age group kids come together, pull their powers, pull their abilities, their thoughts and find ways to help each other. Right. Should we move on to issue number two? Yeah. Yeah. And then that, that splash page is like all the demons carrying Artie and Leech, as well as other demons who don't have wings. Wow, they have, they're really good at teamwork. Um, <laughs> they're bringing them to Naster, and that's where we we start to get, like, the the message that Artie sends out to the other, to the rest of the Exterminators team. And now, like, they are set on a mission. Like, they know this is what we have to do, but before they do that, they need to figure out exactly where that was, because all they got was a vision, and it was of a mausoleum in a cemetery somewhere in New York. Um, which there's a lot of those, or at least more than one, for sure. Oh, and the reason why Artie and Leech have been kidnapped by these demons is because Nastir gave them the directive in the first issue. Um, okay, so we need babies. Babies have um, no hair, big eyes, and they're small humans. And of course, Artie and Leech fit this description, even if they are not literal infants. So they get swept up into this uh, kidnapping baby scheme. They're, they're traveling around. They need to get some supplies, some various things. They need quarters. Uh, I got a like a pang of nostalgia for quarters in the payphones and tokens in subways. 
throughout this storyline. I love the bit with the Pepsi machine where like boom boom blows it up they get soda everywhere they spend so much time talking about the soda and the stickiness and how gross it is which i love these are a bunch of like you know 15 year olds or whatever they are of course they're all like weird about it and silly it's a lot of fun yes and then like in the process they not only blow up the pepsi machine but they like WizKid fixes it by turning it into a more like contemporary, or I should say like a then contemporary uh, soda machine, which I thought was really funny because it was like very retro looking before. Um, and they're like, no, I got it. Don't worry about it. We're gonna make it better. <laughs> and huge just shout out to Boom Boom in the panel after that Pepsi machine yeah. where she goes- With the fruit pies. <laughs> yes. Fruit pies, arms full of them, munching on one. It's too bad Taki can't reconfigure the Pepsi too. I could use a soda to wash these fruit pies down. And it's just- Back in the 70s, for any of our listeners who don't know, 70s into the 80s, Marvel had an a advertising partnership with Hostess Fruit Pies. And Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, you did not know this? No. Leah, the, neither of you knew this? No, I didn't know this. Oh, this makes me so happy. All right. Google right now, Marvel Hostess Fruit Pies. We did dozens, if not like a hundred different original comic strip advertisements and they would always have like a villain being foiled by someone like eating fruit pies um these are amazing a, i'm there, looking the, at the hulk one right now yes the spider-man from those stories is in spider-verse and gets killed that. i did um, know that by the inheritors this is this makes me so happy to introduce hostess fruit pies to a, a new audience i know this is a revelation um to be continued but we should get back to the exterminators so after that scene, we get like a like a breakaway scene almost where none of the X-Men are there. None of the exterminators are there. And we get to see this small moment with like a nuclear family um, as they're putting their child to bed. But like I found this scene so fascinating just because it's a, like you get a conversation between the wife and husband of the family and it feels like a time capsule of like that moment and like the dynamics of like what a nuclear family looked like in like the late eighties. Leo, it seems like you really want to like say something and I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. When earlier, when I was talking about how dark this gets, this is one of the scenes that comes yes. to mind because of its brutality. So this, I guess we would call it a cut scene. Um, the first two pages, we are introduced to this family. They're talking about, you know, kind of domestic things, income, um, moving houses, that kind of thing. And uh, it's it's very normal and, and kind of homey. And then on the next page, the father is getting his throat ripped out by a demon as the baby is kidnapped. Like it is just a sledgehammer of, of events and uh, really, really hits you hard, especially after those pages where we've met this family. We know what they're dealing with right now. We just got to know them and now they're being ripped apart and the parents are being torn to shreds as the baby is kidnapped. It's harsh. It is violent. It is brutal. Like I was very intrigued with how much time we spent with that family and how much we learned about them. Like we even learned about how the wife is like, all right, you're barely spending enough time with us. Like you're you're working late. Your commutes are long. You pretty much never get to see the baby. Um, they talk about like, you know, the housing market and all this other stuff. And like, you get to learn about their financial background. And then all of a sudden it's just like all of that gone. Now that child is an orphan. Like what? And the mom, when the child is being taken and the mom is just like thrashing, struggling to get to him, even as she's been taken down by demons, she gouges out yes. one of the demon's eyes with her bare yeah. hand while from reaching behind. for her child. Like, like it is behind. brutal. But that's, you know, it means so much more now that we know her and we know we can see how hard she's fighting to save her baby. Yeah. And then we've got that scene and it's intense and horrible. And and then you go right back over yep. to our core characters, like in a montage of trying on clothes. And I love this scene. It's so good. We need more fashion show. like More cutaways. fashion montages. Yes, yeah. please. Let's move on to issue number three, because I think this is really fun. We are immediately brought into a library. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, the Internet doesn't exist during this time. They can't just search for the answers online. And they are going there to get a map of New York to figure out where this mausoleum is uh, located. Also, we forgot to mention, but they chose their name last issue. Like they decided to land on exterminators without anybody being like, mm, no, everyone was like, yes. 
Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, we get to the scene um, where the uh, security guards at the cemetery get snatched up and there's like little bits of dialogue and, and conversations between them um, and the bones sticking out of the ground and yeah. the hands coming up. It is nasty. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. And so and this is this is the issue in which we see in the crypt um, Artie and Leach, you know, hugging the kids a little bit more, taking their shirts off or their like pajamas off to to keep the kids warm. Oh, so sweet. And we also get the scene where Takeshi is like interacting with Nastier, and it's like he's kind of like realizing why he was brought here and he's using it to his advantage. He's like, oh, you want me to build this computer for you so that you can read all these spells. Got it. And then Artie and Leech are kind of like, wait a minute, like you're not going to work with the bad guy, are you? And he's just like, no, I'm, like I'm going to just take my sweet ass time until the, everybody else gets here building this machine, which is like genius. It, it is. It is. And I really love how there's like a vibe shift once Takeshi gets there yeah. because he is obstinate and, you know, uh, he's not as sweet as Artie and Leech are. He's He's got some spice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment he realizes, oh, I'm empowered here. I can handle this situation. That's when he starts becoming accommodating and like, yeah, OK, I'll do your thing. Yeah. Sure. And he's thinking, like, I'm going to take this guy for a ride. I'm going to con him for all he's worth until the exterminators get here. And then this book takes a huge turn that I wasn't expecting, where the exterminators essentially get defeated and WizKid is forced to continue building the machine and finishing it uh, amongst like also creating emojis for the first time, <laughs> like which is part of the spell. Like he needs to use these symbols. Um, he's like building a customized keyboard. And I'm like, wow, Takashi, way ahead of his time. Um <laughs> And essentially builds the machine that allows Nasir to like cast this spell and use these babies as essentially batteries to power it and bring Limbo to Manhattan. Yeah, build a bridge. Uh, Has one of my favorite bits in here too, where Nasir is talking about what he's trying to do. He's like, now it'll, um, we shall begin the spell of transport, which will take all of us to the most central source of negative energy in Manhattan. Times Square, <laughs> which while true is a to very this day. yes, while yes. is a very different looking Times Square, remains true. Still lands. <laughs> um, issue number four on the cover right away. You get to see that it's starring uh, the New Mutants, which I thought was really cool. I love this cover because you see not only the characters that we've already become like familiar with, the Exterminators, but also we get to see the New Mutants in action. And they're all kind of using their power. So like right off the bat, you know what they can sort of do. Few characters that show up in this book have had such a positive turn for themselves than Cannonball and that old school look. Oof. My goodness. Oof. Uh, I think it might be the only double page spread in the series. And it's something that Jasmine, you and I have talked about recently looking at books in um, in this time period and beyond, like very few spreads and only used very sparingly and for pointed moments, as opposed to where we are now, where double page spreads are a lot more, uh, you know, a more regular part of an arsenal. Right. And it's also kind of like fourth wall breaking. Um, I was just thinking about that, too. I love this double page spread because of, you know, they waited to unleash a double page spread on a moment of great portent when all of the demons mm-hmm. are flooding out of limbo and into Manhattan. And in the background, we see just this towering plinth up to the sky of like demons coming into uh the city and then you follow it all the way down to the foreground where the closest demons to the reader are chomping on the gutter yeah like they're breaking the fourth wall we get the new mutants that, that make the appearance in this book right away which i thought was cool because they are also being teleported using that same portal that the demons are using um so they're falling out of the sky and right away we get to see them all we get wolfsbane uh sunspot magic who's dark childness cannonball which we mentioned danny moonstar and the last one is Gossamer. We also get WizKid like kind of on his like last stand where he's like, all right, I'm not holding punches anymore. Like he's back in his wheelchair. He's just literally like turning it into fists and beating up these these demons as he makes his way to the computer to try to tear it down, essentially. To, to avoid... destroy his work. Yeah. Yeah. And this gets us to that moment that you were talking about at the beginning of this, Leah, where you were talking about both 
Adi and Leech and like how they get their hero moment here in this issue. Yeah, which has been set up progressively throughout the first three issues of establishing again and again how sweet they are, how kind, how caring, how much they love each other, how they're protecting the other infants, how worried we are for them and their safety. Um, You know, it has all been leading up to this moment. Let's start wrapping up this issue because I definitely want to talk about your series that's coming. But we get the, the big battle in Times Square. Takeshi gets his hero moment as well, where he builds, he pretty much turns the machine into multiple jets to help the the rest of the team fly around and fight these demons, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, really, really cool. And we also get this just insane amount of peril with midair babies being (laughs) kind of tossed about um, thousands of feet into the air above Manhattan. (laughs) So as if it wasn't bad enough when they were like on the ground of the mausoleum fighting uh, and trying to rescue the babies. Now we are like midair doing the same thing. And it is terrifying. But my favorite part about it is that Warlock turns into a giant baby carriage to help catch some of them in midair, (laughs) but also has enough like room to make a sidecar for Danny Moonstar. And I'm like, this is is great. I need more Warlock. There's a... Some nasty stuff as the like the big fights come to a head and Sim and Nastier is doing this and that Takeshi like crawling. It's like a very intense series of pages and panels. Takeshi's crawling. Everything is going wild. Nastier is like powering up, powering up, powering up. And Takeshi makes like a giant sacrifice. This kid, we've only known him for the previous three and a half issues, has such a great arc, like you were saying, Leah. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy because like one of the things that we we ta- we didn't talk about when we first meet him is that he's kind of a jerk to Artie and Leech. Yes, that's what I mean when I'm saying like he has the biggest glow up in this series because he starts out as kind of a brat, and you know mm-hmm. he has his reasons, but and, and he's like secretly very jealous of the relationship that um, Artie and Leech has because he's of the same age and he'll never be as close as they are. Um, so he's kind of nasty to them at first, but that doesn't stop him from like saving them and working with them and then, you know, making this huge sacrifice by the end to save millions of people. It's it's just amazing. And by the end of this issue, all the babies are saved. We see the entire cast holding the babies and we get that like to be continued in New Mutants. Um, and they're also like rallying around um, yeah. Takeshi, which is cathartic by this point because he needs it. He needs medical yeah, attention. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Leo, curious, you know, for your book, there's, you you mentioned that Boom Boom is sort of a, a, a point that connects the two books, but what made you choose the name Exterminators for the story? This is the one that the X office really rallied around. It was Jonathan's idea, actually. He came up with it on one of our um, Krakoan council meeting Zooms. And uh, it just, it, it clicked. But we went with Exterminators because um, it was chosen for this book. I guess, you know, Boom Boom being the hinge kind of makes sense. And also there's the other similarity of uh, Louise Simonson having written X Factor and Exterminators. And I wrote oh. X Factor and now I'm writing Exterminators. I didn't realize I that until I was getting ready for this podcast. Um, But uh, it it makes sense and it fits given the nature of the work that they're doing um, in in Exterminators uh, 2022. There is a lot of exterminating going on. Yeah, give us a little bit more on on the the book. I mean, we just did a, we released as the week we're recording this, a more Jubilee-centric episode of the series. Oh, nice. uh, um, Which is great. I'm a huge Jubes fan, so I was very excited to, for many aspects of your Exterminators. I'll, I'll talk about the cast in general and how it came about. So this book started out as Dazzler the Vampire Slayer, basically. That's <laughs> there. Is, there are things I will apologize for in reference to this book, but my vision of Dazzler being the ultimate vampire slayer, given her powers, you yeah. know, like it, it just makes sense. I will never apologize for that. That is her no, true form. That. that is her final Pokemon evolution. End yes. of story. Um yes. So this book started out as Dazzle the Vampire Slayer. And as I was kind of working out the story and figuring out the details, I realized how how fun it would be if there was kind of a cast to 
um, support the narrative and, you know, just kind of kept that in mind. And then Jubilee became available. So I was like, okay, immediately, yes. Immediately, yes. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Tabby's not up to anything right now. Let's bring her in because, of course. So it was just going to be like the three explosive ones. Mm -hmm. But then Laura became available and Jerry Duggan came to me and he was like, you know, and I'm like, yes, I know exactly where you're leading. <laughs> and yes, absolutely. So Laura has become, she's like the pinch of salt you add to brownie batter to make it all the sweeter. Ooh. Like just kind of the perfect balance to offset these other um, really chaotic hot messes, especially Jubilee and Boom Boom. Jubilee and Boom Boom are like, the fulcrum on, upon which so much of the chaos of this book rests. Like they are high energy. They are playing off of each other's vibes. They are, you know, working together and like roasting so the hell out of each other the entire time. This book just feels like it was made for me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Hell yeah. Leah, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, as always, to see you guys and getting a chance to chat. Big thanks once again to Leah for coming on the show, talking about exterminators, all the exterminators. Um, again, go read the new issue, the new exterminators. Go enjoy the old exterminators. Go read everything Leah's writing. One of my favorite writers right now. Hey. She's doing great. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. That wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And Jasmine, I just saw a press release come in. We've got a new <gasps> Axe Judgment Day tie-in that's going to be released. It's Axe Brad. Oh. I know. That's a little underwhelming. You kind of, yeah. But it's very reliable. I gotta go. I'm Ryan. Okay. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>